My name is Lisa Carter, and it's my great privilege to bring our scripture to you this morning, which comes from John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the di disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellas, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to the shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from shore. And when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord to us today. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to New City. My name is Travis, one of the pastors here at New City, and it is always my pleasure to be up here and share God's word with you this morning. Just want to continue our, our shout out and invitation to those of you new, this is your first time. We are especially glad, especially during summer to come and take some time to be with us this morning. We hope your time has already been encouraging to you, and we hope as we continue looking at God's word this morning that you will find even more encouragement. Um, today, I'm really excited. I get to help start this new series off for us. This is kind of our official summer series, if you will, called This Passage Changed My Life. And so we have been tasked with thinking about that question, what is that passage in scripture that has changed your life? And for me, I knew exactly which one it was. I didn't even have to think about it because the passage that you just read today, um, not only has this passage changed my life, but I would tell you that this is actually my favorite story in the entire Bible, and I can't wait to tell you a little bit about why that is. But the, the reason why this passage changed my life is because it changed my perspective. And that's what we're going to talk about today, is I hope that in some small way as we walk through the story you just heard that perhaps your perspective of Jesus will be encouraged and maybe reshaped in a different way than maybe it hasn't in a while. So I'm excited to go through that. We're going to be in the chapter in John chapter 21. If you do want to go ahead and turn there, we also have the New City app. If you're not familiar with that, if you want to download it, you'll see that we have the passages loaded on the New City app as well. But here's what I want to do this morning to begin. 
And I want, I want to pose the scenario to you that I want you to think about for just a sec, which is simply this. What would you do if you saw today, right now, what would you do if you saw Jesus face to face? Think about that for a sec. What would you do if maybe you go home today, maybe you're at the grocery store, maybe you're out on the greenway walking, what would you do if you saw Jesus face to face? I've thought about this question for myself many times. And, and the simple answer, if I'm honest with you, is I don't really know. And maybe that's your response too. Maybe you're thinking of a lot of different things that you would do. But the honest truth is I don't know. I, I, part of me thinks, would, would I be scared? I think it would be pretty remarkable to see Jesus face to face. I think we would all agree with that. But maybe I'd feel scared. Maybe I just wouldn't know what to say or do. Maybe I'd be in awe. Maybe I'd be excited. But I think there would be a lot of things that would happen if I saw Jesus face to face. And then I, I ask myself a different question. I go, I, I wonder what Jesus would do if he saw me. What would that response be? You see, what I've realized... And what this passage has helped me realize is just how important it is that we understand our perspective of others. What we perceive about each other is extremely important to understand how it is we connect with them, how we approach them, and how it is we relate with people, right? I think we would all agree that, that we really, there's no two people in this world that we approach the same way, right? I, I don't interact with my son the exact same way that I interact with my wife, nor do I, do I interact with my good friends the same way that I would with my dad. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Of course, that's, that's the way it works, right? And yet, I wonder how many times our relationships, our, our approaches, our, our perceptions of others are perhaps unhealthy. And, and maybe the way that we're connecting with others is perhaps incomplete or not as fulfilling as it could be simply because of how we're perceiving them, what we believe about them, what we know about them, how we've experienced them, how that all impacts how we perceive them. And then I, I've dove into the other question, which is, I, you know, I, I sadly, I wonder how many times that's true of how we perceive Jesus. I wonder how many times we, we have an unhealthy or incomplete view of the person of Jesus, and therefore I wonder how often our, our relationship was lacking because we have an improper Perspective, And that's what exactly we're going to talk today. We're going to talk about a perception of Jesus that has helped change my life, and I hope it will help encourage you as well. The Bible tells us, Jesus told us, in fact, that the greatest commandment there is, the, the number one commandment that we as believers, that we as all people in this world are called to follow, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind, right? Most of us know this, right? That's the single greatest thing. Nothing else has higher value in this life than that commandment right there. My hope is that today's passage will help you do that better, right? I hope that perhaps you'll see Jesus in a new way by seeing him the way others saw him, and particularly some of his disciples, that perhaps we can see God in a more complete and fulfilling way and see him not only, as we'll see today, not only as the almighty, powerful, holy, amazing God, but also as the personable and the relatable and the approachable God. So 
Let's jump right into it. If you have a copy of Scripture, we're in John chapter 21. We're going to work our way through this passage. But I invite you to follow along with me. We're going to read verses 1 through 3 again and then spend some time talking a little bit about this. So John chapter 21, verse 1 says, Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples at the Sea of Galilee. And this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and two others. And Peter said, I'm going fishing. Now, let's set a little bit of context here into what all has happened, all right? We're obviously at the end of the Gospel of John, right? So we're, we're at the later end of Jesus' uh, ministry and life on earth here. And we know, just based on the Gospel narratives, that, of course, a lot has happened in the past three years, right? Nothing short of extraordinary. And here we have five of Jesus' disciples that spent all three years with him. He, he's with them, or they're with um, each other out on the Sea of Galilee. And if you recall that at this point in the story, this is just days after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. John indicates here that Jesus has already appeared to the disciples, right? So they're, they're not waiting to see him. They've seen him already. We see that in John chapter 20. Um, but So Jesus has appeared to the disciples, but we're at this point now where a few days have passed, and we don't know where Jesus went, but we know that the disciples have, have left Jerusalem, and they've come back to the Sea of Galilee. Now, this is interesting because John, as many of you know, John's gospel is very unique in a lot of ways, and one of which is that John spends the most amount of time talking about the events after the resurrection. When you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke... They talk about the Easter story, the death, burial, and resurrection, and they kind of end pretty abruptly, but that's not what John does. John is really the only one that spends this much time talking about what happened those days after Jesus appeared, right? And so once again, we, we see a, a story here. John is going to record a simple story that starts off very simple, but it's going to turn into an only God moment, right? The story begins with five of the original disciples at the Sea of Galilee. Now, of course, the Sea of Galilee is a special place for these guys. Because if you recall the gospel's narratives, that most of what happened in Jesus' ministry took place in the region of the Galilee, right? That's where they saw him teach. They, they saw him perform so many miracles. Not all of them, but most of them. And you might recall that a lot of these guys are from this region. So Galilee is actually home, and it's a special place for them. And, and as we read this passage, you know, one of the things I think that we have to, as the reader, start to do is, is ask the question, you know, I, I wonder what they're thinking at this point. I wonder for these disciples what, what emotions are running through their head, right? You just saw uh, Jesus. You spent three years with him. You've seen him uh, crucified. You've seen him buried. And you've seen him rise from the dead. But it makes you wonder if, if perhaps one of their questions in their mind is, well, what now? What do we do? And I think it's of no surprise then that each of these disciples go back to the place that they knew which is the Sea of Galilee, back to what they know. In fact, we, we see this a lot when people go through trauma, that one of the things that people do in that is they go back to a place of security. And I think that's exactly what the Sea of Galilee is to these guys. Now, we see here in verse 3, look again here, that during this moment, as the guys are sitting out there, that Peter, the so-called de facto leader of the disciples, He's staring out at the Sea of Galilee over the sun glistening over the waves, and, and he proposes an idea to everybody, to the other four guys. He says, hey, you know what? I'm going to go fishing. 
I, I need a little bit of time to process what it all you and I have been through. I want to go back to something I know how to do extremely well, which is fishing. It's the very thing, by the way, that Peter was doing when he met Jesus, so why not go back to it? And, of course, the others say, well, let's, let's join you, right? And by the, it's interesting, by the way, um, in these boats, it took five people to run it. You needed four guys to row. You needed one guy to steer the boat. So it's a perfect setup, right? Right from the beginning. Five guys here on the Sea of Galilee. And notice again, though, that they spent the entire night and they caught nothing. People often wonder, why is it that they fish at night? Well, the reason is because the nets that they used were so big and bulky, they don't have the same material that we do today. And the reason they, they fished at night is because the fish couldn't see the nets. Okay, so they would lower the nets down. They, as opposed to fishing early in the morning or late at night or at, at dawn or dusk, um, they, they fish at night so that the, the fish can't see the nets. And if you know anything about this line of work, it's extremely difficult. This is back-breaking work. It's over 10 hours plus of constantly dipping in nets and pulling them in and out, in and out. But of course... We see them do that for the entire night, but the text says they come up empty-handed. Now, look with me in verses 4 through 6 here. The story continues. At dawn that morning, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, friends, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, well, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul it in in the net because there were so many fish at it. Now, I was kind of imagining the story in my head as I was reading again this week, and I've had the privilege of getting to go to Israel um, actually a few months ago. And one of the things that I remember <laughs> one night, our hotel was out on the Sea of Galilee. It was beautiful. And it was so beautiful, in fact, that I fell asleep in my chair for the entire night outside, right? So I didn't even sleep in my hotel that I paid for. Um, but I woke up, and I remember one of the things is that early in the morning when you look out on the Sea of Galilee in Israel is that there is this kind of fog, hazy mist that, that sits over the water, of course, until the sun comes up and bakes it all away. And, and it's interesting that that's exactly the timing that we see here in this story, that remember, no, no piece of Scripture lacks importance, right? Every detail in the stories that we read in the Bible are important, right? And, and the timing here is extremely important. So we see the guys, it's, it's early, early in the morning. Dawn is just breaking, but it's very likely that even out there in, on the boat, it's really hard to see who's on shore, Ten, five guys doing 10 hours of backbreaking more of work. It's around 5.30 in the morning. And we see that just like every good fishing story, it, it, it starts off with that infamous question, did you catch anything? Now, we know from the beginning of the story that John tells us that the man on the shore, of course, is Jesus, right? He's already told us that. But it's really fascinating to me just how strategic is Jesus is at showing up in people's lives in just the right time, isn't it? That, that nothing about this story is just coincidence. In fact, we see that Jesus can interact with us at any place at any time, but the one thing that we know for sure is that it's always strategic, okay? The timing is strategic. And notice, not only is his timing strategic, look again, also, so is his question, right? Did you catch anything? Now, for those of you who like to fish, you'll know that question can either be the greatest thing you can be asked or it's the worst thing you can be asked, right? 
Because if you catch a lot, you're excited to tell everybody, oh, yeah, we slayed today. But unfortunately, if you get skunked, it's just another added uh, blow to you, right? To be asked that question, did you catch anything? And then to have to tell somebody, no. By the way, I love that John records, you know, Jesus sitting there and he says, well, hey, did you guys catch anything? And, And their simple answer is just no. It's just that quick, right? They don't, it's not like John and the others say, well, you know, man, we really tried. No, it's no, right? You can almost feel their frustration in that, right? No, we spent 10 hours and we didn't catch even a single fish. But Jesus isn't done. His timing is strategic. His question is strategic. And then now he's going to offer up a strategic statement or suggestion here, right? Because notice again with me here. Jesus breaks all of fishermen etiquette by suggesting something. Notice again, he says, well, how about this? What if you just throw your net on the other side of the boat? Now think about this for a sec. Do you understand how frustrating that probably sounds? That you just spent 10 hours and you didn't catch a single fish. And now here's this random guy on the shore and he says, did you catch anything? No. Well, you know what you should do? Just throw your net over here. Before we move on, I want to I point out something, though. Some of you may be hearing this story and you think, this sounds a little oddly familiar. It's almost like I've heard this story, and if you are thinking that, you're correct. In fact, one of the things that makes this story in John chapter 21 so unique is that it is almost the exact same story that is recorded for us in the book of Luke. It's almost the exact same story that Luke records when Peter meets Jesus for the first time, okay? And here, I want to point this out to you because I think this is very important to us understanding the entire story here. So if you, have, if you want to turn with me, you can. Luke chapter 5, you, you might recall that Peter and Andrew are fishing. Andrew is Peter's brother. They're out fishing again. Jesus encounters them, and, and you'll notice that the, the plot is almost the exact same. The scenario is almost the exact same. Both uh, are filled with fish and miracles, but what we'll see in just a moment is that as identical as they are, that the outcome is in fact a little different here. So uh, I'll read to this. This is Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 3. It says, stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Peter, its owner, to push out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. Okay, once again, sounding very similar. Now, follow along with me um, in verse 8, all right? So, uh, oh, sorry, let's keep reading here. Actually, it says, when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Peter, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Peter replied, we have worked hard all night and we didn't catch a thing, but if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time, their shout for help Uh, brought their partners in from the other boat, and and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking, okay? Once again, two stories, shockingly similar, but notice here, verse 8. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees. He fell to his knees before Jesus, and he says, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I am such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, and as were the others with him. His partners James and John and the sons of Zebedee were also amazed. Jesus replied, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for people. Here's what I want you to notice. 
This is the very first interaction that Peter has with Jesus, okay? And it's almost the exact same story that we just read in, in John 21. But I want you to notice here Peter's reaction in this story. Because what we see is, is even though the miracle is essentially the same, Jesus filling up the nets with fish, that Peter's initial reaction when he first meets Jesus is that he is awestruck and that he falls to a knees. He's, he's obviously uh, realizes that there's something special about this Jesus. He is, he's, has to be a man sent from God. But what happens is in that moment, G, or Peter is moved to this place where he's so awestruck that he falls to his knees. And notice what he says again. He says, Jesus, depart from me. I am such a sinful man. And by the way, I don't blame Peter for his reaction there. I think it's a worthy thing that, that he would do, right? But here's what I want us to notice, that in that first reaction, Peter is awestruck. He addresses Jesus as master and Lord, and he urges Jesus to move away from him because he feels unworthy, right? But now, I want you to keep all that in mind. Let's fast forward again to the story here in John chapter 21. So now we're three years later. We see a Peter and disciples that have spent virtually every day with Jesus. They've walked along the road with him. They've had meals. They've learned from him. And, of course, you're going to see something different happen this time, all right? Look with me in verses 7 through 8 of John chapter 21. The story continues. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work. He jumped into the water and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore, for they were only about 100 yards offshore. Now, this is my favorite part about this entire story, right? And this is the, this is the part of the passage that has really helped change my life. I want you to see the contrast between these two stories, right? That once again, although so much of the story seems exactly the same, did you catch, did you notice the different reaction that Peter has? Remember, in the first story, Peter encounters Jesus, and he, and, he, and he perceives Jesus in a way that he is awestruck, right? He can't even, he feels so unworthy to even be in Jesus' presence. He fails to his knees. And the image here is that, you know, Jesus, or Peter comes to, to Jesus, and he falls down on his knees. And the image I get is that he can't even look up. He's so awestruck, and he feels so unworthy being in the presence of Jesus that he can't even open his eyes, we see a man who thinks perhaps Jesus is there to condemn him or to enact some level of authority over him. And, and although these things may indicate praise, I think they're an incomplete view of the fullness of who all Jesus is because look again with me at how Peter responds. Verse 7, we, we see that John, the disciple John, is actually the first one that figures it out. Right? John, as he's pulling in the fish, a light bulb goes off in his head, and he goes, this story sounds extremely familiar. I feel like this, oh, yeah, it did happen. And so John makes the statement. He says, guys, check it out. That's Jesus over there. But look at verse 8. It's the best part of the story. Notice here, Peter, instead of falling on his knees, what does he do? He jumps out of the boat and swims as fast as he can to the shore. This is where I want us to pause and reflect for a moment. I want you to pause and think about that reaction. And I want you to ask yourself a couple questions, okay? What in the world would cause a grown man to hurl himself into the water and swim as fast as he could? 
What in the world would cause a grown man like Peter to react so emotionally that for some reason he puts his clothes back on before he gets in the water? What, what would cause a man to put on his clothes and swim as hard as he can back to the shore? What would cause a man to forget about all the fish that he just caught, abandon all of that, and swim to the shore? What would cause a man that, logically speaking, it would have been so much easier if he'd stayed in the boat and helped the guys row back? What in the world would cause a man to, to act so emotionally, so seemingly foolish and reckless? What in the world would cause him to do this? And I think the answer is simple. I think it's because of how Jesus or Peter perceives Jesus. It's how Jesus and Peter interacted with each other. Peter's first encounter, it's beautiful, it's good, but it's incomplete. It's colluded with misunderstanding. Peter has no idea the fullness of all who Jesus is. His only response is to fall down in fear and hopefully show some type of praise. But now three years later, notice that we see a transformed Peter. We, we see a man who has encountered Jesus in such a powerful way. And we see a man who's walked with him and learned with him. And most importantly, we see a man, Peter, whose heart has been so transformed by the person of Jesus that instead of falling down on his knees, he runs to Jesus with embrace. There's a, there's a scene from a movie that I just love that reminds me of this every time. I'm, I wonder how many of you have seen the movie Forrest Gump. Okay, it's a great movie. Most of you, hopefully, have seen it. But there's this scene in Forrest Gump that I really, really love. Some of you will remember the scene where uh, Forrest, the main character, is out on his fishing boat. And as he's, as he's coming in after a long day's work, he's coming back into the docks. And he notices as he's pulling into the marina area that he sees his good buddy, his, his friend, and his lieutenant from the Army, Lieutenant Dan. Do you remember this scene? Okay, I think we have... A, a little gif here for you here, right? You remember this scene? This is such a great scene because what happens is as he's, as he's coming into the marina, he sees Lieutenant Dan, someone he hadn't seen in a while. And I love this because this is so foolish. This is so silly and ridiculous. It makes absolutely no sense. And yet I'm like, that's exactly what Peter does. And it's great. Watch the rest of the movie. His boat crashes eventually. It's just fantastic. But, but, the, but the idea there is the exact same. That Forrest is so moved. He's so excited to see his friend. He doesn't care about the boat. He cares about his friend. The same way Peter says, I don't, I don't care about the fish. I don't, that's my friend Jesus there. That's my Savior, Jesus, on the shore. This is what I think, this is how I, I think Jesus wants all of us to see him today. Because this is the way Peter and the other disciples saw him. I wonder how many of us, how often do we perceive Jesus in such a way? I wonder how many of us can say on one hand that yes, Jesus is God himself. He is God in flesh. And yet Jesus is also a person. He had personality. Jesus was funny. Jesus was witty. Jesus was caring. He, he had all those attributes, and yet he was still God. That 
Although Jesus can perform miracles, we see that him connect with people in very personal ways. We see that even though that he has the power and the authority over sin, that he can also demonstrate his love for us by clearing all sin. And we, I wonder how many of us will look at Jesus and we say, we, we know that, that he is completely worthy of, of our praise and our praise alone, that he is worthy of nothing short of our complete admiration and devotion. And yet at the same time, understand that Jesus' greatest desire in life is that you and I would connect with him on a, on a personal, relational way. Yes, he is the almighty God who is, but he is also relatable and approachable. And I, and I truly believe that he wants us to see him in the way that his disciples saw him. Let's keep reading here. The story goes on. Verse 9. It says, when they got there, and Peter's already there. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Jesus said, bring some of the fish you just caught. So Peter went aboard and dragged the net to shore, and there were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Verse 12, now come and have some breakfast, Jesus told his friends. I love this part. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish, and this was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples after being raised from the dead. Did you catch that? Did, did you see the humanity of Jesus in these verses? Think about this for a sec. Sitting on the shores of the Sea of Galilee this early morning at 5.30 in the morning, sitting on the shores of Galilee, we see the creator of the universe. We see the firstborn of all creation. We see the visible image of the invisible God. We see the king of kings. We see the Lord of lords. We see the head of the church. We see the supreme ruler of all things. We see the prince of peace. We see the alpha omega. We see the savior of the world, the bread of life, the holy one of Israel. We see the son of man, the wonderful counselor. We see the high priest. We see the chief cornerstone. We see the lamb of God. We see the good shepherd. We see the fountain of living water, the true vine. We see the Lion of Judah. We see the Great I Am. We see the way, the truth, and the life. And we see the Christ sitting down on the dusty shores of the Sea of Galilee, cooking his friends breakfast over a small fire. Isn't that awesome? That is who our God is. Ladies and gentlemen, kings, queens, dignitaries, they don't do this. They don't sit down on old dusty shores and make small campfires. But the king of kings does. The Lord of lords does. And this is the same Jesus that you and I can worship and experience today. In fact, John would write another book, another letter that would talk about this very idea. John chapter 1, in the first John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, John, talking about this very idea, he, he writes this. He says, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and whom we have seen. We saw him with our own eyes, and we touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one is the one, this one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. 
And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you that what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that, so that you, that is you and me, may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things that you may fully share in our joy. See, the reason why this passage has helped change my life, it's changed my whole understanding and perception of Jesus, is because it's helped me see this side of Jesus that, if I'm honest with you, I forget a lot about at times. For me, I think sometimes I often relate to that that. The, the Peter from Luke chapter 5, that I, that I think a lot of times in my attempt to show reverence and praise for Jesus, I fail to realize just how he chose to connect with me personally. I, I, I can easily see Jesus just as a highly religious figure that, of course, is in fact worthy of my praise, but I failed to understand that in all of his glory, he chose to live a life like yours and mine. And by doing so, he provides a way to connect. I failed to realize that I can both, on one hand, I can hold Jesus to the utmost highest esteem, that I can, I can recognize Jesus as the King of kings, the Almighty One, who is worthy of my praise, and yet at the same time, I can also see Jesus as the personable and relatable and the approachable person that he is. In fact, what I would tell you is that the more I see that of him, by the way, this is not the only story where you see the humanity of Jesus, but I would say that the more I see this about Jesus, the more it leads me to praise and admiration of him. What truly amazes me about Jesus is that even though he is all those divine attributes, he chooses to become like you and me. And I don't want to miss out on that, and I don't want you to either. I'll... I'll, close with this. This is, a, this is a quote. It's a little long, but, but I think you'll really enjoy this. Um, it's from author John Eldridge, and he's, he's commenting about this story. And this is what he says. He says that the encounters in the gospel with Jesus are intimate. My goodness, the whole incarnation is intimate. God with us. Why do we fail? When, why do we, we must help Jesus set the mistake right, pushing him off a bit with reverent language and lofty tones? I understand that much of this is done with good intention by men and women who want to honor Christ, just as Peter did. But the irony is, this isn't how God chose to relate to us. When Jesus died, the holiest of curtains was ripped in half, torn top to bottom. And who, and who was it that did it? Surely it was not the priest, it was God himself. He took that veil and he ripped it in two, so why do we insist on stitching it back up? He goes on to comment about the story in John. He says, Peter learned his lesson. He was 100 yards offshore. That's about three city blocks, a long way to swim, especially in a full-length robe. It would be like trying to swim in a bed sheet, but Peter doesn't care. He doesn't wait for the boat. He forgets about the fish, and as quick as you can say, Jack, be nimble, he hits the water, swimming, thrashing, grasping for air, then stumbling ashore as fast as he can to get to Jesus. And do you think when he got there, he drew a line in the sand and said, Hello, sir, Mr. Christ, may I approach you? Peter is passionate. He's emotional. He's impulsive. He just swam 100 yards, and I bet you anything, he ran right up to Jesus, sopping wet as laundry from the washer, and he hugged him, soaking the risen Lord. 
If Peter didn't do it, you know Jesus did, adding to the cheers of their embrace. Beautiful. That's the way to do it, friends. Just begin making a practice of loving Jesus. Relate to him as you see his friends do in the gospel. My final encouragement for you this morning is, I don't know what your perception of Jesus is. You may be here and you say, I don't, even, I don't really know anything about Jesus. Maybe, maybe you're here and you say, I've known Jesus for a long time, but regardless of where you're at, I hope that you start to see what, what is a, a, such an amazing, big, beautiful picture of Jesus himself. That when we look at even this cross... We, we know, hopefully, the story of the cross, that, that the cross it teaches us that we were separated from God, that we needed, we needed intervention, that we as sinners, there's nothing that we could do. And, of course, the Bible tells us in Philippians that, that Jesus steps down from his throne in heaven. He takes on the likeness of man, and he comes and lives that perfect sinful life. And that by faith and faith alone, we can be forgiven of sins. But the cross is also the invitation into an eternal relationship with Christ. But it's a relationship that is approachable. It's a relationship that is personable. That's exactly what Jesus desires from you and me, is that we would see him in such a way. That we could see him maybe in the way that Peter and the disciples saw him. That on one hand, I can hold him as the almighty, holy God, and at the same time, I can hold him as one who called me his friend. And that's my final word for you today, is that we would let us all come joyfully to Jesus, for he has made the way for us. Let's pray. Jesus, I am, I am just forever thankful for this story. And, and I'm thankful for how it shaped my life and how it has, has changed me. And Jesus, I hope that for all of us in this room that we would ultimately see you in all of your fullness. We thank you that... You could have done things a lot of different ways. You could have lived a life in a lot of different ways, but yet you chose to be the approachable, the relatable, loving God. And I don't know how you did it. I don't, I don't know how you balanced those two things. But I'm just thankful that you did it for us. And my, my prayer is this morning that as we think about that great commandment, that, that idea of loving you with everything we have because we know you loved us first, that we would see that loving you is, is a gift. It's an opportunity. And we don't have to come to you with everything put together. We don't have to come to you um, under the best of terms. We can come to you uh, even soaking wet on a, on a shore, and we know you'll receive us. The most, and the most perfect example, of course, of all this is the cross. You demonstrated just how much you loved us, and cared for us by dying on that cross. So this, this week, Father, I ask that myself and everyone in this room, that we'd remember this about you and that you're with us all the time and you are strategically showing up in our lives all the time. May we embrace it, may we celebrate it, and may we come to you like Peter, swimming as fast as we can, running to you, because, Father, I look forward to the day when I do get to see you face to face. And I know on that day that I will be able as well to run to you, give you a hug, and say hi for the first time. Thank you for our time this morning, Jesus. Amen.